0: You're listening to an audio message from Palm Vista Community Church. If you would like to check out more resources, please visit palmvista.org. Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church on this glorious resurrection morning. Christ is risen. Amen. He is risen indeed. That's an early church greeting. If that's new to you and if you're a guest here this morning, and perhaps you're not a professing Christian, we just want to say thank you for coming. It is a privilege and an honor that you're here with us. And one of our prayers is that as you hear the word preached, you're going to be hearing about Jesus Christ's resurrection from an Old Testament book called Isaiah that was written over 2,500 years ago, but is the most revel- relevant thing you're going to hear. It's God's word. So thank you for coming. And we, we just want to honor your your visit with us. And I'd love to say hi to you after this sermon. For those of you who are professing Christians, those of you who have been part of Palm Vista, we're continuing our series in the book of Isaiah. We're going to preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ out of the book of Isaiah, because it's here. You know, this is the early church preached Christ's resurrection from Isaiah. And so our series is entitled Living in the Shadow of the Great King. And this morning's message is this, The Resurrected Servant the resurrected servant, and we're going to be reading Isaiah 52 verse 13 all the way through to Isaiah 53 verse 13. Isaiah 52 verse 13 through Isaiah 53 verse 12. Why the title resurrected servant? Let me give you the backstory, if I might, so that you can understand how we're going to preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ out of the book of Isaiah, a book written over 2,500 years ago. You see, Isaiah was written to a people who had been called to be God's servant. This is a people that lived in the promised land. As a matter of fact, if we could throw the map up there, Tyler... So it's a little hard to see this, but on the left-hand side, that blue stuff there, just to give you a little tip here, that's water. All right. Dexter, I'm not quite a geospatial uh, whatever you are, okay? But hey, how's that for good map 101, okay? The blue stuff is water, okay? The green stuff is vegetation. (laughs) And you see there where it says Judah, and if you go right up and down, that's modern-day Israel. Just Just to orient you geographically, before I orient you historically. And the most important orientation is what God is saying through this word to us this morning. So God called Israel to be his servant way back, way back, like 1400 BC. And he took them out of Egypt and he brought them to the promise and he promised them a land. This is what he said. He says, I'm calling you to be my people who will serve me. Okay? Okay. My servants. In fact, did you know in the Bible, oftentimes a name for Israel is the servant of God? And they had it, man. God's people out of bondage in Egypt, out of slavery in Egypt, in the promised land. They were eating the good of the land. One problem. Instead of serving God, they chose to serve themselves and the false gods around them. And because God is holy... And because he's good and he loves his people, he called them on it. And so what he did was he evicted them from Israel. And if you look, see where it says Babylonia on the right-hand side? By the way, modern-day Iraq, modern-day Israel, modern-day Syria, we know this area of the world. He evicted them from the land and he, he put them in exile in Babylon, right? And so this This that we're going to read today in Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12 was written to those people who were called to be God's servant, but had chosen to serve themselves and the gods around them. And they were evicted out of the promised land and they were in exile in Babylon. But here's the good news, church. God did not forget his people because God's faithful to his promise. So God writes this to them through the prophet Isaiah to tell them that I'm going to restore you to be my servant my servants, through my one servant, the resurrected servant. Why is it so important that he's resurrected? Because they, the, the servants of God were dead to God. They were serving themselves and God had to give them new life. He had to create a new people, a resurrected people who would be born again to be his servants. And he was gonna do it through his resurrected servant. Now, before we read this, I need to explain to you that in Isaiah, written to these people in exile who are suffering, hey, what happened to us? We got evicted out of the land. We're serving other gods. We're serving ourselves. They're crying out to God for help. And God says, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you through a servant. So in the book of Isaiah, study this this week. There are four servant songs. The first one appears in Isaiah 42. The last one appears in Isaiah 52, verses 13 to 53, 12. These four servant songs are giving hope to the people in bondage and exile that God's gonna send a servant, a savior, a messiah, Someone to rescue them out of their bondage and exile, bring them back into the land and reconstitute them, cause them to be born again to be the servants of God. And this last servant song, Isaiah 52, 13 to 53, 12, is perhaps one of the most famous passages in Christianity today. So if you're not a Christian and you want to know what Christianity is all about, you want to know one of the famous texts of Christianity, you read this, Isaiah 52, 13 to 53 12. Most Christians know this passage, but it speaks of Christ. And from this passage, we're gonna preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ because it's in this passage. Because you see, it's not just Israel that was called to be the servant of the Lord. If you are a Christian, God has called you to be his servant. But how many of you know that sometimes we find ourselves in temporary exile? Because we start serving ourselves and the gods of our own creation in our minds. What am I talking about here? Here's what I'm talking about. God calls you to serve him. And by the way, Christian or non-Christian, you're called to serve God. This is what I mean by that. You're called to value God as the most important one. You're called to value God as the most valuable one, the most important one. The Bible calls it worshiping God. Here in Isaiah, the terminology that is used is serve God, the servant of the Lord. But what happens to us, what happened to Israel is we take other people or other things and we serve them in place of God. We value them in place of God. We put an importance on them equal to or above God. And the Bible calls those things idols. It's what Israel did. It's what got them evicted out of the promised land. It's what we do, Christian. Now, what do I mean by that? All right, let me see if I can drop down into a little more detail for you. It's oftentimes it's yourself. Let's just, let's just be honest, all right? Self-worship is number one. But many times it can be that person that you think will give you what you need and want above God. So it could be your current spouse or a future spouse. It could be a roommate. It could be any person that you would invest with an importance and a value who can give you life that only God can give you. It could be a thing. It it could be that very career path that in your mind will afford you the status and the security and the success that you crave and need. It could be safety from the dangers of a, of, a, of a world that is surrounding us. It could be peace in the midst of our chaotic, loud, and confusing word. It could be health for your ailing or aging body. Guilty on both of those. It could be pleasure and happiness and avoidance of pain and sorrow. Most of those things are good things. But when you elevate that good thing to the place of God and you value that thing above God, then you'll do anything to get it. And you'll violate God's law, God's word to get it. I mean, my big one's pleasure and happiness. God made us for pleasure, but then we find our pleasure in him. But if that thing becomes my God, I'll do anything to get it to include violating morality or ethics or serving God. You see where I'm going with that? So, so I just want you to ask yourself, whom or what do you really serve? Like functionally serve. Not just like, oh, I serve God. Okay, I got that. But who do you really, really, really think is going to give you what you want and need and desire? Who, where is life for you? without trying to be trite or funny here, you know, is it that your team wins? Is it that you just have a peaceful afternoon drinking your whatever you're going to drink and everybody stops bothering you? (laughs) Is it that your bank account is where you need it to be? As I approach (laughs) mid-60s, I hope I can work for the next 30 years. I'm serious in that. But I realize that's, The statistics aren't with me on that one. So is my God getting enough in that bank account so that if something happens to me, I'm going to be okay? Listen, it's not wrong for me to work toward that. You hear me say that? But when that becomes my God, then I'll do anything. I will do anything to get that populated. I will run over anybody. I will say anything to get that. You get where I'm going? It just creeps up on you, man. Right? I need love. Yes, you do. I'll do anything to get it to include violating my marital oath and covenant. See where I'm going with this? All right? You got that? So here in this text, what we have is is God saying, I have a servant who will restore you to be my servants. And if you're not a Christian, then hang on, buckle up. Here we go. The scripture is coming at you. May the spirit of God open your eyes and you think beyond who is this crazy guy with this pastel shirt on? And you would hear God's word to you. He would make you a servant. And if you're a Christian, and you've been floating a little, you've been serving yourself for a while, or whatever it is you think is going to make you happy, even if it's a good thing, God would gently bring you back out of your self-imposed exile. You ready? This is exciting stuff, man. Isaiah 52, verse 13. The fourth servant song. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted as many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see and that which they have not heard they understand. Chapter 53 verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. That's resurrection talk right there. That the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Amen. the transgressors. Church, God calls us to serve Him, but we end up serving ourselves and the crazy gods and idols we create in our own mind that we think will give us life. But God the Father sent God the Son, Jesus Christ, the only perfect servant to then climb up on that cross and suffer and die on the cross for the imperfect servants that he calls his people and then rise from the dead to create a whole new line of servants, his people, his nation, sons and daughters who live to serve God. He makes us into his servants by the righteousness of the resurrected servant, Jesus Christ. The main point of our message this morning is the following. The suffering servant is the resurrected servant who redeems and restores God's servants. The suffering servant is the resurrected servant who redeems and restores God's servants. When Jesus was on earth, he made this statement. I did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give my life as a ransom for many. The Christian culture is defined by serving, it is countercultural, particularly in South Florida. I'm from South Florida. I love South Florida. I don't want to live anywhere else. I have such faith for South Florida. But we're a selfish, self serving world, aren't we? Just drive on the Palmetto one morning, you'll figure that one out. I was getting coffee for the worship team this morning at Casamana, and uh, you know I I was obviously I was standing there. I I mean, I was obviously standing there for a while, even in my pretty little you know lilac whatever color this is shirt. You know, tan bonito. Just someone just blew right by me, almost knocked me over, and was just starting to order. I won't lie to you. There was a little you know, you know, I was ready to wait. And, and, and I was just like, Lord, who cares? I mean, I did care, but. <laughs> <laughs> and the ladies behind the counter are my friends, uh, Isabel and Mariluz. And they looked at me, and they looked at this person, these persons, and they said, well, who was first? And particularly Mariluz, she's Colombian. You know how kind Colombians are, right? They're not like Cubans, right? I'm Cuban, I can say this, okay? And, uh, and, and I just turned, I said, no, no, you go ahead. That stole that. That costed me to do that. Okay, I just want you to know that. That's an evidence of God's grace right there, man. Because, dude, I want to be served. I just realized Ashley Beecham is with us. I, Ashley, she just had a baby. That's exciting to me. If you don't know me well, I'm easily distracted. All right. So that was. The... Where are we? What are we doing right now? It's time to know. And so, but but listen. Jesus said, I'm here to serve you, not myself. At the core of Christianity is that. And it's hard, man. I want to serve me. And I'd like it if you served me too. But God saves us to be his servants. Suffering servant. Jesus suffered to restore you and me to be God's servant. And this is how he suffered. Look at it with me, verse 53.3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus suffered tremendously. Surely he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Smitten by God. Church, when Jesus suffered on the cross, for the sins of his people, he suffered alone. When he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That in no way means that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were fractured. No, that's called the Godhead. That's the Trinity. That's always been forever and ever and ever. That remained. But Jesus, the man, was at, on the cross, and the Father and the Son agreed that when he suffered for you and me, he would suffer Alone. There was no help for him. David Rios preached this on Friday night. There was no angels to minister to him like in, the, like in the wilderness in the temptation. There was no father's voice from heaven twice in his life at his baptism and on the Mount of Transfiguration to say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. At that moment, the father turned his back from the son and Jesus suffered the sins of every elect ever born, ever going to be born, millions and millions of sins, horrible, horrendous sins for hours and hours to redeem his servants. That's what it means He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. That's what it means, that he was pierced for our transgressions. Verse 5, that he was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Jesus had no peace so that you and I could have peace. Jesus was rejected that we, Christian, could be accepted. Jesus was forsaken so that we never would be Christian. Why? Look at verse 6. 53.6, all we like sheep have gone astray. All of us has gone in our own way. We are all self-serving people apart from him. We all wander. It's often been said that hell is going to be like a dinner table with, with forks attached to people's hands and everybody just fighting for the food the whole time. You know that gut-wrenching feel you get when you're gonna have to wade into the masses that are just bent on getting there first and knocking you out of the way no matter what? Literally, that could be a freeway, but it doesn't have to be. It could be a job, be relationships, who's right. It's in us. We're like sheep. We just wander. Here's the cliff. And for God's elect, he comes and he rescues us, but it costs him to do that. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, but he opened on his mouth like a lamb. He is the lamb of God who, who rescues the, the lambs, the sheep that are lost. That's his people. He didn't open his mouth. He was cut off from the land of the living. Verse 8, he was stricken for the transgression of his people. Verse And then verse 9, he made his grave with the wicked. The only righteous one was crucified between two thieves who were giving him a hard time. The people on the ground were saying, oh, oh, if, if, you're, if you're this servant, because listen, the, the Pharisees knew about these four servant songs. They were looking for the one who would redeem them from the bondage of Rome in the first century. And they were saying, hey, if you're that servant, come on, get down off the cross. If you had the salvation of God, the arm of, the God, of God, the Lord has been revealed, then you come down from that cross, you get an army, constitute an army, and throw the Romans out. They were mocking him. All alone, because they didn't understand. Look at the end of verse 9. And with a rich man in his death, although there was no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, Jesus was buried in a rich man's tomb, Joseph of Arimathea. What's, what's, What's the point? What's the point in all this? Here's the point. The only faithful servant Willingly suffered on the cross to bear the sin of all of us unfaithful servants, enduring its shame by looking with faith and joy to the many redeemed and restored servants who would be born out of his sacrifice because of his obedience. His offspring are are the Christians. We're his offspring. Oh, church, that is glorious. That is glorious. Because Jesus suffered knowing that after death would come resurrection life and a multitude of redeemed and restored servants. Point two, the resurrected servant. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 says the following. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. We just read about what that crushing looked like. And he was put to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt He shall see his offspring. That's the redeemed and restored servants. If you're a Christian, that's you. He will see his offspring and he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. What this means is, verse 10 begins with the will of the Lord. It was the will of the Lord that he would be the suffering servant. And then at the end of verse 10, the will of the Lord prospers in his hand. That is speaking of the resurrected servant. You can't be having the will of the Lord prosper in your hand when you're dead. Speaking of his resurrection, what that means in the middle is that Jesus accomplished his will, the Father's will, the Spirit's will, God, one God, three persons, their will was that a servant would come, this mysterious servant, and die for the sins of his people, rise from the dead to give them life, to constitute a new nation, a new people, a a, a group of servants who love and serve God with all their hearts. That's the rescue that's gonna happen out of Babylonian captivity and exile. That's the rescue that happens for us to turn our selfish lives that are meaningless and so pathetic into lives that have meaning because we serve God first and then we serve one another. Glory be to God. And he succeeded. He succeeded. I was thinking about that this morning. I mean, he came up with this audacious plan. He's God, right? From the foundation of the earth, the lamb was slain. So this is the Godhead from eternity. came up with this plan. No one understood the plan. They thought that the arm of the Lord revealed in salvation would be this mighty king who rules over all that will throw out his enemies. Oh, that's happening. But everybody missed that before that happens, before the glory, comes the suffering. So he suffers. I mean, he really suffered. And then he raises from the dead, and he sees his work was successful. Do you see that? He will see his offspring, shall prolong his days. This speaks of Christ's death, resurrection, ascension into heaven, and his he's ruling and reigning today, right now. What I love about this, dear Christian, by way of application, is that the resurrected servant. Delights delighted in submitting to the Lord's will to crush him and put him put on him the grief of our guilt, and he delights in you, for you are signs that the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. You are evidence that the plan that they devised succeeded. Heaven rejoices. Why do you think heaven rejoices every time someone repents and believes in Jesus? It's another victory dance. I'm a football guy. I love the victory dances in the end zone, right? You know, boom, boom. Whatever you're going to do. Sorry, it's particular American culture. It's what we do when we score a touchdown in football, right? Right. But in a righteous way, there are victory dances after victory dances after victory dances when a selfish, pathetic person is saved by the grace of God, and they're now a servant of God, and they're saying, there it is. That's the fruit of Christ's death on the cross, his shame hanging naked on a cross. There it is. That's the power of God to convert one who was lost and find that little lamb and turn them into my person, my son, my daughter, so that your life has meaning. You live for something more than yourself or your bank account, or your name, or vengeance, or whatever it is you live for, or pleasure. (laughs) I'm just basically a hedonist. Thank God for his salvation. Because I'm in a good place for hedonism in Miami, right? God saved me, so I wouldn't end up somewhere. I probably wouldn't be standing at the age of 62, quite frankly. Jesus is alive. He executed God's plan, the will of the Lord, and it was successful. Look at verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. Put your finger on that word. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. You cannot see and be satisfied if you're dead. This is speaking of resurrection. Jesus is alive. He's alive right now, and he's looking and he's satisfied. Listen, he's satisfied at the person in India right now probably not right now, maybe right now, it's like 10 something at night, who, whom he's saving. The Muslim in Morocco who sees Christ and repents and believes in Christ. He's satisfied at you this morning. He's satisfied that you're here this morning. He's satisfied no matter how much you're suffering and how confused you might be. You love him and you're wanting to serve him. He's satisfied. God is satisfied with you. Not because of what you do, but because of what Christ did. Do you see that in verse 11? He's satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. That's us. He makes many to be accounted righteous. He makes many to be servants. You can use many different names. They're all synonymous. Accounted righteous, servants, worshipers, sons and daughters, disciples, Christians. Just different ways of looking at this glorious truth that he redeems and restores us in Christ. Because Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is alive. And he's satisfied with his works. That's us. The resurrected servant, Jesus Christ, lives, my friends, and watches with great satisfaction the many redeemed and restored servants, you and me, who are the fruit of his suffering, death, and resurrection. He rejoices over us. And not only that, he intercedes for us. Final verse, verse 12. Therefore, you always have to ask yourself, what's that therefore, therefore? Why does it say therefore? Think logically here. Because all that is true. Look at verse 12. You ready? This is, this is uh, spiking the ball in the end zone. This is doing the dance after you dunk on your opponent. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, i.e., to the victor goes the crown, go the riches, goes the prize. Because, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many, that's his people, and makes intercession for the transgressors. You can't make intercession if you're dead. He's alive. He bore their sins and now he makes intercession. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Whether you believe that or not, doesn't matter. It's true. And he reigns and rules forever and ever and ever. And here's the deal, Christian. He intercedes for you. Don't blow by that one. Because in the Bible, this is what it says. God became man. Jesus became a man to be tempted like you're tempted, yet without sin, so that he could know what you're going through. You can never tell God, you don't know what I'm going through. Yes, he does. So that he can help you. So that he can intercede for you. Christian, Jesus right now is interceding for you. He was left totally alone and abandoned on the cross so that you would never be alone. No matter how alone you might feel, and I'm sorry for that. He knows what you're going through. He makes you into his servant and he lives to intercede for you. So what's the application here? Well, We started off with this question, whom or what do you serve? We said that you're going to serve the thing you value the most, the person you value the most, the thing or person you assign the most importance, that thing or person you think will give you life. And God is here to tell you this morning that the only one, the first one you need to serve and from that service comes the service to all others. Same thing Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your heart and then do whatever you want to do. Because you know what? What you're going to want to do is what God wants you to do. It's this power of God and a new life born out of Christ's resurrection that changes what I want. Makes me his servant. So how do I do that? A couple of thoughts and then we'll conclude with a song. Number one, you will will serve God the, the resurrected servant, when you think about and value what he did on the cross, so read this passage, and if you don't understand it, listen to me. ask someone to explain it to you, and I 'd be happy to, but there's only one of me and there's a lot of you. so ask someone a Christian that you would trust to know and who's mature. ask him to explain it to you. you would then. Consider and value and count as important and think about every day his resurrection from the dead and what that won for us, this new life. Listen, you're going to serve, everybody serves somebody and something. There is nobody that does not serve someone or something. Question is, whom will you serve and what will you serve? Here we're set free to serve God through the resurrection, death and resurrection of Christ. Ask God to give you his heart ask him to show you the glorious celebrations in heaven when a sinner who's selfish, living for himself, herself, hurting other people to get what they want, is converted by the power of Christ's death and resurrection. That's life. That one won't end. All of the Trophies that you can amass, all of the money you can amass, whatever it is that you're looking for, one day it will end. Every dynasty in sports has an end. Every business that that triumphs has an end. Every nation that is powerful will one day end. But Christ's kingdom won't end. And his life that he promises you will never end. It only gets better. Let's pray. Worship team, you can join me up front. Lord God, I pray that you would give us a vision of your grace this morning. Lord, the, the, thing, the thing that comes to mind right now, how, how can we serve you? Lord, would you, would you have mercy on me? I'm starting with me, I say us. Lord, show us these, these idols that we create in our head that we serve in a functional way instead of you. Show us where we're just serving ourselves. Lord, help us to look in the mirror of your word and and show us where we're willing to violate your word to get what we think we want, even if it's something good. And give us the grace to repent. Oh, but Lord, let us see you, Jesus, suffering on the cross alone for us, taking our sin, the grief of our sin, the sorrow of our sin, the waywardness of our hearts, let us see that and value this. Lord, the world says that the cross is foolishness. You say it is the wisdom of God. The world says the cross is weakness. You say it is the power of God. Oh, Father, let us value the cross as you value it, that it goes beyond just a symbol hanging around our neck or some sentimental sentimental little act of bravery, but it is where God hung between heaven and earth to take the sins of his people and give us his righteousness and constitute his nation, servants who serve you first. Let us rejoice. Show us, Lord, what's on your heart. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to find out more resources or see how you can donate to this ministry, simply visit palmvista.org. And be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date with upcoming teachings.